Imagine what it'd be like if we were really curious about each other. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Relational Spirituality, the weekly podcast of LargerStory.com, the podcast that sees all relationships as spiritual and all spiritual formation as relational. Now, here's your host for this week, Kep Crab. Welcome to Relational Spirituality, the podcast of Larger Story where you belong, you become, and you be known. I'm Kep Crab. Thanks for joining us today. What does the word relationship really mean? And how does it fit in with our own stories, our smaller stories? We all have stories, and they're all important. And today I've got a my guest who's a licensed counselor. He's an author. And he was a guy who was a, a friend of my dad's. And they had, I, I guess, maybe a close relationship with my dad, the late Dr. Larry Crabb. Steve Shore is, is joining us today. Steve, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here, Kev. Would, would, you, would you say that you and dad had a close relationship? Or what would you say about that? Our relationship was kind of bookended. Uh, we were pretty close in the counseling program when I was there 30. Then we lost. But was time. that in, in Grace or where did you? Yeah, where was, was the counseling? Good. Where did you go to the counseling program? That was a Grace. At Grace. Area. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. 86 to gotcha. 88. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh, we lost touch for a while. And then I went to the Cove and saw him speak at a Jonah conference there. And uh, we reconnected and just got, yeah. just hit it off like, all over again. It was like a second blessing, oh. not in the, you know, not in that sense, but he was. He, he, I kept I kept hearing him say, I wish someone would just be curious about my life. He would drop that into the mm. lecture in a while. And I just it just gave me a passion to knock on the door. And I did. We yeah. got very close in the last four years of his yeah. life. Yep. Well he he in those in those last three or four years spoke very highly of you when he would talk. And I'm I'm trying to remember, have you and I ever met before? We this never have met. I didn't. This is the first time we're meeting you. Well, nice to meet you, Steve. It's uh, it, they put your voice with the with the face and all that good stuff. But I didn't think we had met, no, which is why I'm so grateful uh, and excited to chat with you. Today. Well, I've just I've heard different things about you, and I I saw in in one of the books that I was reading that you wrote uh, your acknowledgments to uh, Sonia Reader, and I know yes. you know Sonia a little bit. I know I know her well too. So. Which brings me to after reading you, you call them your your skinny book collection here, and I've got right. it here the the last one. And I um you sent me these a while back. They're really a a four book series that's titled the Relationship Project, and I can see how you and Dad really did enjoy each other after having read these books and having probably some good conversation over a a piping hot cup of coffee and and a breakfast. Uh, would, would be th- and I see too you you also enjoy some of the same authors in Maltman and Young and of course uh, yes Lewis you've got right. all those guys throughout there so I could see that how how you and Dad enjoyed uh, hanging out a little bit so tell me yeah, about some of those times coffee definitely had to be piping hot your dad <laughs> that's exactly right your dad preferred a coffee shop with a microwave this this is so true <laughs> and I know that for sure so. Talk about some of the conversations you guys used to have. I just, I've, I've, just to be honest with you, Steve, and what we're doing here in, in these in these podcasts that we're doing now is, is just having a conversation, and hopefully it's a conversation that matters. I, I looked at um, 
some of the stuff you were talking about, a kingdom building conversation, some of those kind of things were really neat to, to read through. But I could, I could hear dad all over some of your words. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell me about some of the times you guys met just in the last few years. You said you got pretty close with them. Yeah, we would get together impromptu maybe every six weeks, five weeks, somewhere in there. There was no tight schedule, but we would meet halfway at a Starbucks and we didn't have an agenda. We would just uh, open up one, you know, it could be either of us opening up with whatever is on our mind. And usually it was uh, kind of a pre- pretend about nothing conversation. You're down, one of your dad's favorite yeah. phrases was pretend about nothing. And so I, either he or I would bring a burden, often a relationship struggle or a where is God type struggle. And we would just reflect together and it would go toward, it could go everywhere from, he would tell a story about speaking with N.T. Wright and uh, telling a certain other speaker to, he said, put a sock in it because he wanted to hear N.T. Wright speak. So I won't say who the other speaker was. (laughs) It was probably best not to do that. (laughs) But uh, sometimes we would get into, especially as he got more toward the end of his life and sicker, basically. Yeah. We, we got to discuss, discussing the load that life is, that life can become such a load and the why of God's permitting that. And so we would often try to get under the, under the jargon, I guess you would say of God's got this or God's in control and try to get underneath to really wrestle with what is God up to in these times that, that make us feel so finite and so helpless. And, we would we would get to this spiritual formation idea, which is not a new idea, you know, that God uses <clears throat> adversity to form and shape us. But mm-hmm. but we would it's it's kind of like we were embracing each other in words. We would hug at the beginning and the end, but it was more like we were embracing each other with, I don't know what to say to you, but I'm here for you. I am entering into I'm I'm where you really are. And I don't have a pat answer. I don't have a, you know, uh, here's a bumper sticker type whiz bang saying that I can just drop on you and you go, oh, everything's great, you know, but it was more, it was a relational, it was a relational mourning and grieving. And yet all of it was under God. All of it was under his sovereignty, but not the kind of sovereignty where he's on a distant throne pulling strings, but I'm hurting with you. I'm the suffering God. I'm the suffering savior type God. And your one phrase we came up with was maybe we're hurting with God's pain, hurting with God's pain over a fallen world. And and that became a a known thing between us that it was, we were in the fellowship of his sufferings as Philippians, Philippians three talks about. And it was just true fellowship. It's hard to describe, but it was close. It was intimate. It was, yeah. You, you, you mentioned that the grieving relationship, you talk about a lot of different kinds of relationships in your book series and unpack that a little bit, because I think I understand what you're saying. I I've said to people, I understand my dad more now in after he's been gone for almost two years than I think I did when he was here in some ways, but he really had another foot in the next world. And what, what kind of stuff did you guys grieve together with each other over? Our, our limits. And, um, you know, the fact that <clears throat> he was definitely, like you said, had a foot in the next world. And he, you know, at one point he had lost 30 pounds and yeah. couldn't, 
you know, just get up out of a chair, like with no thought. And yeah, I remember. As, you well know, as you well know. And I remember one time he said, I think I'm going to write a book called it's too much. And I don't know if he ever finished that book or not, but he was, he was writing one by that title. I don't know where that went, but, but we were, he, he did. He did. Okay. Well, I hope to see that someday. But we were, we were like two pilgrims in over our heads, but our hearts were in God. And we kept trying to just sit in the pain together and come up with scripture. I wish I had some of those scriptures at my fingertips, and maybe they'll come to me. But your dad was such a ponderer. And he would say, yeah, I hear you, but what about this? And he would really challenge my thinking. <laughs> yeah. And part of the time I wanted to run yeah. away. I wanted to avoid his mm -hmm. unrelenting probe into kind of the searing place that where he was. But by God's grace, we stayed connected. <clears throat> and we just kept trying to wrestle through it together. And we didn't find answers. I'd say we found we found a, a triangular relationship. You know, that's not a that's not a new thought either. But here's here's your dad on one side, and here's me on the other side. Of course, here's God right here. And we found that triangle where uh, it's as if we could hear God saying, "You have no idea. This momentary light affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. You have no idea." Oh, and then. And then eye has not seen, nor has ear heard what God has in store for those who love him. And so we were, it's like Karl Barth says, you have the newspaper in this hand and the Bible in this hand. Back in when they had newspapers, you know, I know there are still newspapers, but we had life in one hand. Dad actually enjoyed the funnies. <laughs> he did enjoy the funnies. In fact, whenever I showed up, he was, lit, he was reading at the Starbucks. He would always <clears throat> be reading the literal Wall Street Journal. But it's like we were trying to read the pain of life with one hand and the Bible with the other hand, and it was it was quite a wrestling. It be it would have been so neat to to see some of those conversations with two counselors. I, Steve, how long have you been a counselor? Oh my goodness, since uh, 1988. So whatever that is, 12, <laughs> 35 years. The experience is primarily in counseling. I, I mean, and I I think I can see where where some of the times with dad and even you, you referenced the school of spiritual direction in, in the, the last book unstuck a few times, which is really neat. And, but I, I used to wonder, and just the reason I asked that question is because I used to wonder when my dad was in full-time private practice. And I used to think you have to sit there and listen to people come in and pour their souls out to you. That's usually very ugly, very disturbing sometimes. And then you got to come home and deal with me and Kenny. Man, you got a tough deal, Dad. Uh, you know, but you know, but that's where all of that's where all the all of his thinking, I think, was shaped, is in the counseling office as he's sitting in front of a you know. You reference a gal in here that went through some sexual abuse named Sarah, uh, and I'm sure that's not her name, but 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 the gal that you're referencing in the book was Sarah, and but 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 how that impacted you as you're writing this book, talking about the the challenges of what it gets to really know her and to get to something where real change is possible. Yeah. I think one of the key concepts in the in that book you held up, the one called Unstuck, which is the fourth book in the series, is you <clears throat> you have to go where people really are. You you can't stand where you want to be. 
and say and beckon to them and say, come where I want you to be or need you to be or where I'm comfortable for you to be. You have to go where they are, which means you're going to be in over your head. Uh, and I remember saying, speaking of your dad, you know, I said that to him one time. I feel so in over my head. And he said, which is exactly where you need to be, Steve. Good point. <clears throat> but well, you put that in the book. There's a piece yeah. of that in the book, the inadequacy that allows you to, to move in some different directions that are good because you're not really doing much anyway. It's Dad used to comment on, let's let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting. Right. And that's what I, you know, I, I think I say that in that fourth book. I'm listening to myself. My, my first task, I guess, in counseling is to listen to myself, not so much like, you know, listen to myself egocentrically, but more like, what is going on for me? And why? Mm -hmm. Because this person is saying X, Y, or Z, and it's hitting a nerve in me, either a nerve of recoil, a nerve of inadequacy. So why is that mm -hmm. happening? And so I'm trying to process myself, keep processing what they're saying. So it's kind of a dual listening. And then there's a third listening for the Holy Spirit, which is very mystical in a way. It's not as if the Holy Spirit says, I'm coming on board. You know, it's it's more like a whisper or a nudge that it's a directionality. That might sound like a weird word, but it's it's go here. Yeah. Often I feel in over my head, but I want to stay with the person because Christ has stayed with me. And so I, I trust that as I'm in over my head. Christ and the Spirit will meet us there, sent by the Father. And through that meeting, words will materialize eventually that reflect the Spirit's work. And it's not as if I ignore all my training and don't bring in any knowledge of, you know, what is anxiety made of or what, what, can, what can fuel a, de a depression. It's not that I ignore all that. That's all there. It's all in the, you know, in sub-basement, I guess you'd say. But really, what I'm listening for is the Spirit to enliven all that, all that training and all that experience, so that I'm not just an expert. I'm not just a talking head. You, you mentioned as you were chatting with Dad in different times about the, the whole notion of pain. And I guess some of the questions that I would ask, and, and I've, just, I've just become aware of this in, in a new way, probably in the last few years, but you talked about with Dad the pain that you guys would experience. Can you unpack a little bit more of that? Because I know dad was just, he, he, I used to say to him, dad, you seem so discouraged. So, so depressed. You're in a, and my mom would call it the dark place. Dad was in a dark place. And I think it was just because he realized this world was just, just wasn't doing it. And mm -hmm. he just was in, in, in a different world. And I, like I told you earlier, I think I understand dad now more than I did when he was alive in some ways. And um, I just missed the heck out of that guy so much. Mm. I cannot imagine how much you miss him. I miss him so much too. And you have light years more with him than I ever thought about having. But he was such a gift to all of us. When I think about the pain, it's it's such a shattering thing to realize there's nothing in this world that can deliver what my soul really wants. There can be approximations. There can be quick fix mood changers. You know, there's a lot, plenty, of, plenty of those in the world. You know, entertainment, alcohol, methamphetamines, whatever, you know, whatever, sexual addiction. There are plenty of quick fix mood changers, but the pain just comes back. 
And then there's the additional pain of having, you know, fallen off the wagon, feeling shame or guilt. So it could be a shattering thing, as I say, to realize I've been living in this illusion, you know, hypnosis that life is supposed to feel good. It, it really, it really, it's not that that's bad, you know, to feel good, but that's not the main point of life because if that's the main point of life. The very fact that I live in a world that's not designed to be my home means I would have to so hyper-focus on feeling good that relationships around me would begin to be malnourished. I, could, I can't nourish the people around me. In other words, I can't love them and feel good at the same time because life here is not, this is not our home. <clears throat> and so we're to be born it's here. It's not going to work. It's set up to no, fail. It's never going to work. And to be born here, to be born here is a collision. We collide with realities that we're not designed to handle, like betrayal, sexual abuse, as you mentioned, abandonment. I could go on, but we collide with all these experiences that we're not designed to handle. And yet we're trained by the world around us to have a set of coping strategies. And so we sample them and we try them and we go through the smorgasbord of life saying, well, let me try some coping style 101 coping style 102 yeah we pick from the cafeteria line and we find that it's very superficial and the more we focus on them like i say the more relationships around us suffer and so what we need to do is is have a breaking you know a, a literal building of that illusion and you know in one of the books i talk about a house of safety and control that we build and it's a it's flesh driven. It's that's another key word in the books. It's driven by the flesh to be sort of the structure of this is how I'm going to survive in a fallen world. Whether it's the the three main ways we do that is we try to dominate or manipulate. Right. In other words, come against people and get over on them, dominate, uh, manipulate, use them in some way, shape, or form, even in nice ways, and then isolate, just get away from people or get away from our own emotions definitely get away from their hearts and and to have that house torn down that's the holy spirit mission when jesus says the spirit comes to convict the world of sin righteousness and judgment he's really saying the spirit wants to tear down that personal house of safety and control that you've built and that's painful and and traumatic because it's been such a survival energy well you talk so much in the in the book you, you you use so many words that are that just remind me so much of dad and you know as you as you talk about some of these kind of things and you know the the word thirst and the word hunger you talk a little bit about that and i can't remember which book of of the four right now but um, i remember dad saying some i i remember talking to him about that at one point and he said you know to to embrace that thirst to embrace that hunger and you, you use just words in your book that i'm that i'm thinking of as self protection Obviously, the spirit flesh battle that's going on. I love the notion of waiting. One of the book is, books is specifically geared towards that, the unmanageable life. And then you just talked about, too, where people just kind of go to things. What dad used to, to call that is they anesthetize themselves. You talk about that in the book a little bit as well, of how people survive. Because I just hear so many stories, Steve, of, of how challenging and, and the struggles that this life brings relationally. You know, and it just, it's like we just said, it's not set up to work. This life is set up to fail. And I think the relational piece is just so crucial. And I love, I really enjoyed your books. Where where can we get those, Steve, if we want to get those books? 
Well, through the publisher's website, which is Wib Finstock. What I've really enjoyed about it is the four books, the, the four book concept where you have, you know, four and you call them short books and they're really not short books. They're, 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 and, 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 and you call them skinny books, but boy, they're thick in terms of the, the material in there, There's which again reminds me of my dad. There's a lot in there. And one of the things I really enjoyed, Steve, was um, I, I felt like I had to read your books with the Bible next to them, similar to when I read dad's stuff. You just want to go to the, the passages that you're, that you're bringing out in Ezekiel when you talk about dry bones and you're talking about passages in Galatians. And so I was all over the scriptures just as I was going through your book. And I just really appreciate that. Well, that's our one thing I do talk about in the book. The first book, I believe it is, the one called Stuck, is The House of Memory. I think I'm coming out of Isaiah. I'm trying to remember my own book here. <laughs> Everybody says, well, where, where did you write that? <laughs> I have no no, please do. Yeah, I remember actually. I remember that that now. As you're looking that up, there's one quote that I wanted to read real quick out of your last book, and it was interesting because there's one that Dad says, and you said you you got it verbatim in here, but you haven't really heard someone until you're in touch with the terror of your own inadequacy, <laughs> and that's that's kind of what we've been talking about. Is is there's nothing that we can do, and I've 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 come to realize that more as I get older. You know, you know a little bit of my story, perhaps, and my wife got sick a few years ago, and yes, you just feel helpless, and um, it's just it's uh, it's been you know the long and short of it, Steve, has been it's been a huge blessing where you uh, you're you're focused more on eternity, and you don't you don't want to waste the time that you have now, and you just realize you know me just as a mid fifty year old man that I'm not going to be here forever, and I got a chance to watch my dad finish and finish well, but I never thought that guy was going to go, and um, and he went, and so just makes gives me something to 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 go after. He he showed us what it's like to finish, and to finish clinging to to Jesus. That was just so David, important. He really did. He he was an exemplar of what I'm about to talk about because he went into that house of memory that I constantly. So it says it's Isaiah 51, okay, mm -hmm. verse two. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who gave birth to you in pain. When he was one, I called him. Then I blessed him and I multiplied him. And so basically he's saying, look to or remember Abraham and Sarah and and go to the quarry from which you were dug, which is a wonderful word picture when you think about it. Like Abraham and Sarah are like a rock quarry. And that means there are many layers and many, you know, it's kind of like an archaeological dig and you don't know how deep it goes. But Abraham and Sarah... Right you know, who, who walked by faith and she gave birth in pain. And I think it was not the pain of childbirth per se, but the pain of coming in second to, uh, was it Leah, I think, who had the children first. And then Rachel was, or Sarah, Sarah was born, Sarah gave birth. I might have the names mixed up there, but Sarah gave birth after Hagar. I think it's Hagar. Hagar, there it is, yep. And so Hagar was the, you know, the one who was, excuse my language, you're popping out babies, you know, and then, and then when, when Sarah finally had children, her first child, she was very old and, and she, but she wasn't only old, she was coming in second. And she, and she gave birth in that pain of, I was not the fruitful one. I'm a miracle because I was barren and now I'm bearing fruit. But for a long time I was barren and I had, you and I were talking about, I, I had to wait. I had to learn to wait. And I gave birth in that kind of pain. So we have that um, 
different layers of pain. That's back to the archaeological dig type thing that you don't know how deep it goes. And I think I think that you you asked the question, you know, about your dad's discouragement. And I think he was in a layer of the archaeological dig that I didn't fully understand. His body was giving out on him in catastrophic ways, not just, oh, I'm getting old type ways, but in catastrophic yeah. ways. And he was he was face to face with dramatic limits. And so he was wrestling with, can I still rise up and praise Jesus Christ when I can't get up out of a chair the way I want to? I think yeah. I can, but I'm not going to be able to do it in a shortcut, quick fix way. I'm going to have to wrestle with him. And I, and I, and I need some people around me to help me wrestle through that. And and Nevi uh, did a lot of wrestling in his own soul. He he would wrestle at four in the morning, as you he well did. know, many many times. Yeah, it's interesting. You talked about the "It's Too Much" manuscript that he gave us. He actually left us Steve with two manuscripts. He uh, wrote a book, which is titled "Off Track," and the premise of that book, just the the overarching premise, is essentially what's the one sin that we're all guilty of. There's a lot of sins that we haven't done, but there's one sin that all of us are guilty of. And he talks about the first sin wasn't, didn't occur in the garden. The first sin occurred in heaven when Satan said to God, the father, I want to be like you. Yes. And that's the sin that we they all commit. He unpacks that in a really interesting way. And then he also gets into what does it look like to be on track? So we're working on that book now, but you mentioned the last book that he wrote, and it's really more of a journal. Um, it's a book called the, the, it's called it's too much, which was just this, this, I think this world was just overbearing. It just over, just it was. It was. It, he was ready to go, and you know, he made the decision. I'm not gonna. I'm not taking any more of my medications. I'm just, you know, I'm ready to go home. And he talks about it's too much, but at the same time, in the middle of that book, he also talks about the it's too much moments that Christ had, and he talks about the three three moments of it's too much. He also talks about Abraham's it's too much moment with Isaac, perhaps, as we can imagine. He says with Christ, there was that it's too much moment where he's in the wilderness. And that was an it's too much moment. Then there was the it's too much moment where he's in the garden. And then the last one is is, is the three hours on the cross. And that unpacks it in a way that's really interesting. And it's going to be a tough book to kind of put together because I think you were right. He was he was struggling in many ways, even, even mentally, which was the hardest thing for me to see. The, the guy who was always the smartest guy in every room he was ever in wasn't thinking as well as he was before. Just the cancer was eating his mind. And uh, and so as I've gone over this book, It's Too Much, He, my brother actually sent it to me. And I can remember it well because he sent it to me the, the weekend that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl a couple years ago. And I worked that whole weekend on taking dad's 175 pages of scribbled notes <laughs> and turning them into a, into a manuscript that he could read so he could sit one more time at the table and this was the last time he did it. It kind of makes me choke up thinking of it and edit his material. And it was so rewarding to see him do that for the last time. And it's it's kind of like the old lady who who goes out and prunes her rose garden. And it's just a beautiful rose garden because she nurtures those flowers and waters them and prunes them. And dad was doing that with his manuscript one more time. And so uh, that was super fun to do. And, and he, he sat at that table for four hours until his mind wouldn't let him continue to go. And Ken just said, my brother, just put it down. And that was the last time he, he did that. So I'll get those that's books an, out, Steve, that's for sure. That's an incredible story, Ken. 
your love for your dad just comes through so beautifully. Oh, yeah. Such a privilege to be carrying on his memory and his legacy and what we're doing with Larger Story and even expanding on that. Because dad would be upset if it was all about Larry Crabb. <laughs> he, would, he would be really mad, but uh, but that's not what it's about. And we got a chance to to see this guy live, but he had the same Holy Spirit that we have in us, Steve. So we have the same opportunity for impact because that's the same Holy Spirit. And that just, to me, is hopeful and gives me hope and excitement as we engage in relationships with people and and have conversations that hopefully put Jesus on display. I think we did some of that here today, man. I sure hope so. Could I, could I share a you final You were going to say thought? something? Yeah. I don't know if it has to be the final thought, but let me... You mentioned sure. earlier... You mentioned earlier about the desire we all have to be like God, and that is deep within us. You know, we maybe not consciously walking around saying, I, you know, I'm God's equal, but we we want to be in charge. We want to sit on the throne of life. We want to be the center of the universe and call the shots. The way I like to say it is we, we want to be the captain of our ship. Yes. And I'll, sometimes I'll quote that, what I consider a very secular almost pagan poem, Invictus. It says, I am, the, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And that's, that's the human fleshly drive to say, I don't need God. It's, it even says, uh, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with, I can't remember the words exactly, but something, the scroll, I am the captain of my fate. I am the master of my soul. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter how narrow the yeah. gate is. I, I've got my own gate. I'm going to be the master of my own soul. Where Christ himself would say, you know, it matters very much what gate we go to. And so there's that part of us that yes. wants to design the gate and design the road and design the comfort zone that we're going to have. And that that's what I took your dad to mean all those years by saying we want to be like God. And, I, and that's how I really believe Genesis 3 is unpacking that. It's that desire to be the captain of our our own ship but when we do that we can't love because we already love something too much which is our comfort zone or our i like to say our set of the profile of our outcomes that if we can tick off these outcomes and say okay i got you know i got my feel goods i got my sense of control i got my sense of i'm in charge or whatever it might be then Shepherding those along means I cannot love you at the same time. I just can't. I've got to focus on what I really love, which is getting that set of outcomes. I think it was Augustine, first of all, who talked about the idea of setting our loves in order. And then uh, a modern author, Leanne Payne, does a really good job. Christian writer Leanne Payne does a really good job of talking about setting our loves in order. And so your dad's whole legacy was God is at the top. God is at the top. And all the other things that want to jump the stack, you know, and take an improper place need to be set in order. Not not in a party pooper type of way. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as you say that, Steve, too. I, it reminds me of, you know, as I've been reviewing the book off track that dad, the, the last one that he actually completed, it's too much, wasn't totally completed, but, but kind of. And so we'll kind of finish that for him. But he basically... It's it's so relevant to where we are today in culture. And, you know, I want to be a girl today. I want to be a boy tomorrow. And, you know, I'm in charge, God. And yes. it's just, you know, I one of the things that, that really struck me in, in some of the, and in, in I, I think it was in the last book as well, 
when you started to talk about spiritual warfare, um, because I just really have been aware of the fact that we are really in the midst of a spiritual warfare now mm-hmm. in ways that I haven't experienced before. And dad used to talk about it. You talk about it in, in, in one of your books. And I, I, uh, I just think that to, to understand that that's where we're at in this spiritual warfare. And we, we need to, again, in Ephesians, put on that, that armor because we're going into battle here. Um, and I think the armor a lot of times is often being able to connect and relate in a way that does represent Jesus because love is, is the ultimate. You know, one of the things that I love to think about is my dad is no longer living with faith and he's no longer living with hope. He doesn't have those two anymore, he only has <laughs> but he's love. still living with love. Right. He only has love. That's why it's the greatest of all of them. And, and uh, I love thinking about that with him, but this whole notion of spiritual warfare and what's going on. And that's why I think that this book off track is kind of timely for our culture today in respect to what's really happening. And I, I used to think too, just since dad's been gone almost the last two years, how have we declined even in those last two years? Where things that, that that we're dealing with now would just be considered just ridiculous, mm-hmm. but now they're things we have to battle, and so I'm hoping that 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 book has a opportunity to speak into the culture a little bit as well. I, I very much hope so. I, I couldn't agree more about spiritual warfare and the importance of spiritual warfare. Satan hates being, even though he is a being, he hates being, and he hates created being because every created thing has a nature. And you mentioned the uh, transgender movements in our culture. This is not me hating on anyone, but it's just a deep pain in my soul that since everything has a nature, when we're born with a nature as a male or a female, the, the idea that Satan has pushed things along so far that we can actually undo that or think we can undo that nature just by saying, I declare myself whatever, an opposite sex. I heard of one recently where it's, I can't remember the term, but it's going back and forth, you know, whenever. uh, Gender fluid. It it had the word bi on it, but it wasn't bisexual, but definitely non-binary, gender fluid, those kinds of terms. Yeah, I can't keep up with all of it nowadays. Right, right. The fact that we believe that we can undo it by just naming it. Someone said recently, I'm trying to remember where I read this, but it said for, said for, you know, all of history, we have thought there's reality and we adjust to it. But now we think we can create it by our very words. So instead of adjusting to reality and using our words to adjust to what's real, we begin to say what's real. And then that's chaos. That's just chaos because where does that stop? The abolition of man. The abolition of man. C.S. Lewis, absolutely right. <laughs> I say the same thing. Everything has a nature, and if that nature can be undone, and I can, you know, pick up this pencil and say, now this is a cell phone, and I go make a call on it, and, you know, you can right. say, that's ridiculous, Steve. You can't make a call. Yes, I can. I identify as a person who makes a call on a cell phone. And that's the spiritual warfare piece, is is I, I think that's that's the design. I think that, you know, and, and, and again, you know, one of the, the key components of spiritual warfare, and I think like one of them, the main weapons in Satan's arsenal is to look like a cartoon character to be taken very unseriously, you know, and, 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 but when, when you realize, you know, I, I remember years ago when we were having a little service for my son who was just born and we were at my mom and dad's house and my dad's praying for my son who at that point was 
two months old. And he said, there's someone out there who wants to destroy this young boy's soul. And I'm just ready to fight and I'm fired up and I'm, you know, this is my boy. And that's Satan. And he wants to destroy everything that has to do with anything to do with God. And so I know we're in the middle of this battle. And that's what really what we're trying to do with Larger Story is take this message of what does it mean to relate like Jesus in a way that puts him on display like the Trinity? And how do we communicate that with, with, with younger kids to say there really is hope? There really is purpose. You have a part of something bigger than yourselves that really matters. And that's yeah. kind of what we're trying to do with larger stories. So that's the the privilege that I have in carrying dad's relational message on hopefully to the next generation and many generations after that. Amen. I think we're Amen. in the middle of an accelerated undoing. The phrase that just popped into my mind, you know, Satan has always wanted to undo what God has made. You know, he perhaps knowing his time is short. I don't know the timeline, only the father knows <laughs> the times and the seasons. But I believe we are in the midst of an accelerated undoing because there is so much hatred in the evil one and because it's beautiful. What God has made is beautiful and he hates beauty. And so he he, he really does try to pump chaos into the beauty that's there. So We're in a battle. Well, Steve, I've really appreciated our time together, man. This has been fun. I and I and I want to say too, I highly recommend these books. They uh as I was reading through all four of these. It, I just I could I could hear Larry Crab all over him, which just which just made my soul happy. <laughs> I love hearing stories about how Dad has impacted people and and how he you know how Dad would say how he was uh, used by the Holy Spirit because that's all Dad would say he was was just a tool, and we all have the chance to be that tool as well. Could I tell you one more quick story about that? Please do. His influence. By the time I reached the counseling program, I was such a poor husband. This was in. In 1986, and I did not know it. I was blind to who I was. I didn't know what I was, how I was impacting my wife, and she was very depressed. In fact, and she wouldn't mind me saying this. Her name is Susan. Susan was so depressed she was having suicidal thoughts, and I didn't understand my impact on her. And and so your dad and and Dan Allender and Tom Barney all helped me understand mm -hmm. my role in her depression. One day her depression got so bad I called your dad. Uh, you know, in the middle of the not, not not two in the morning, but you know, ten or so at night, and I said, "Would you all be willing to see my wife, Susan?" And I expected him to say, "Well, let me see my calendars, this, that, and the other thing." And I, how about four months from now? And he said, "I will see her tomorrow," and that was the beginning of yep. an absolute turnaround, and for me yeah. too. I love hearing those, Steve. I'll never quit loving that. I hear them all the time from a, a bunch of different people, just little things that dad would say as he was just in passing that turned their lives around. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think, the Holy Spirit moving through him. And so one of the things that I'm really thinking about now is that that seventh question of the seven questions, and you talk about some of the questions in there, who is God and what's he up to? And the seventh question is, how do we, how do we tag along with what the Spirit's doing? Yes, And that's what I want to do more than anything is just see where he's going and, and join that. Join that party, tag along, because that's the only way you're going to have any impact in this world. And we have the chance to be like Larry Krabs. And Dad loved you, Steve. He really did. He spoke very, very highly of you. And I'm just really grateful that you took the time to spend with me today. And um, I hope we can do this again, man. I would love that. And and that love was was and is for your dad, very mutual. And yeah. um, I can't can't wait if this can happen to give him some strawberry jam in heaven.
<laughs> I can't wait for that day either, man. That's going to be a that's going to be a fun one. So until that day, though, we have to continue to to trudge down here through the battle and through the the muck, but hopefully continuing to put Jesus on display by how we relate. So, yeah. Steve, thank you for being an encouragement to me just in this conversation today. Thanks for inviting me. Let's stay in touch, my friend. Thanks, bro. Have a good evening. You too. Well, thank you all. And that was Steve Shores, counselor, author. Good guy. Have a great night. If you like what you heard today, hit the like button just below. Then come back by subscribing to our podcast channel. For more resources on relational spirituality, go to our website at LargerStory.com.